Hello and welcome to episode 88 of the Thinking Poker podcast from Pagosa Springs, Colorado. I am Andrew Brokus. Most of you probably know the drill by now, but for anyone who's wondering, why is episode 88 coming after episode 311? There was a brief period of time during 2014 when the Thinking Poker podcast was on the Poker Strategy podcast feed, uh, which meant that episodes from that time did not appear on the Thinking Poker feed. And those of you who have uh, subscribed or started listening since then generally have access to uh, back episodes, but don't have access to uh, or have not had access to uh, episodes from during that period. Um, thanks to Russ Fox, we've managed to get our hands on all of the old audio files from that time and uh, have been re-releasing those. The other thing you might be wondering is that uh, the last episode we re-released was episode 86, so why now are we jumping to episode 88? And the reason for that is that episode 87 actually already is in the feed. Um, we re-released this one, which is just, uh, I mean, actually, again, thanks to Russ, um, we managed to get our hands on this episode a couple of years ago and uh, re-released it at that time. So I'll put a link in the show notes to those of you who, uh, for those of you who missed that, and uh, we will proceed with episode 88 here. Episode 88 is a pure strategy episode, just Nate and me talking uh, poker strategy. You know, it's five-year-old poker strategy. Um, I'm not 100% sure how well it stands the, the test of time, but it should be fun regardless because one of the hands that we talk about is a hand that we played against each other. Uh, for a while, we had an annual tradition of going to Red Rock, which is a really nice poker room for those of you who have never been there. Um, we had a tradition of going to Red Rock and playing in a 2-5 game, and uh, we just happened to play this interesting hand against each other. So that part of it should be interesting, regardless of uh, how well the strategy stands the test of time. For those of you who enjoy hearing Nate and me talk strategy, well, you can hear plenty of me and a little bit of Nate over on Tournament Poker Edge. Tournament Poker Edge is going to give you access to more than 10 years of poker strategy content, much of it from me, much of it from other great guests we've had on this show over time. Uh, it should be a great resource for you to improve really any a part of your poker game, though obviously it's tournament focused. A lot of my videos in particular um, really revolve more around poker theory and aren't necessarily all that tournament specific. You can sign up for that at tournamentpokeredge.com. The other great way to hear Nate and me talking a lot more strategy is in our premium podcasts, the latest of which, Weekend Warrior, is geared towards serious recreational live cash game players, though again, I think there's a lot in there of interest to lots of different sorts of poker players, but that's the target audience. That's five hours of Nate and me talking strategy, and that is available at www.nitcast.com, N-I-T-C-A-S-T. Dot com. Make sure you pick it up and listen to it because we've got Weekend Warrior 2 in the works, hoping to have that out by the end of the month. So you're going to want to be caught up on Weekend Warrior, uh, the first series of Weekend Warrior podcast, so that you can hear us talking more in Weekend Warrior 2. Okay, that's all for now. Enjoy the show. Danger is stealing in as relapse. Sums above the den. It's hard to know if this will be the day when you give in. 
to episode 88 of the Thinking Poker Podcast. In Somerville, Massachusetts, I'm Nate Mavis, and with me, wherever you are, is Andrew Brokus. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm still in Catonsville, Maryland, uh, and I am currently at the final table of the summer uh Super Summer Series, something like that. Uh, the, the main event of that series at Maryland Live. Uh, I hope that will be true by the time people are listening to this and the show is released. Uh, <laughs> I'm playing Day 1A tomorrow. Uh, so my, my hope is that if you listen to this as soon as it comes out on Monday evening, uh, I will be uh, on, on my way to a first place finish in that uh, $2,200 tournament. It's a good optimistic intro. I like that. I <laughs> Um, yeah, I had I didn't even know this was going on. I'm kind of in Maryland thinking I was going to be out of poker mode for a little bit. I mean, maybe playing a little bit of cash at Maryland Live. But um, someone, and I want to grab uh, Lucas on Twitter, L-O-U-K-A-S-41, uh, asked me if I was playing any of the tournaments uh, during the current series at Maryland Live. And I was like, what? I didn't even know there was a series at Maryland Live. And it turns out that the main event starts tomorrow. So it uh, seems like good good timing for me to go check that out. So how big is this? What's the buy-in? What's the field size approximately? Uh, $2,200 buy-in. It's They've got two day ones, um, which I don't know how much of their poker room they're going to dedicate to this. It's, a, I believe, a 52-table room at Maryland Live. But, um, I mean, they obviously get a ton of cash game business as well. So I don't know that they're looking to turn over the entire room to the tournament. Um, so I don't really know how many people to expect. I'm also not 100% sure whether uh, rebuys are, are permitted or re-entries are permitted. Um, but I would guess it'll be in, in like a couple hundred people playing. Yeah, that's a good size. You know, it's uh, the, the, the variance monster won't be rearing his ugly head so much. So, so that's good. And uh, and I think a lot of better players are going to be in Florida. Um, I don't know how many like Maryland rigs specifically are going to go down there. But I think you know anyone traveling to play a series is, is more likely to go to Florida than to come to Maryland for this. Yeah, that's right. I don't think Leo's going to be there, for example. <laughs> well, d- disappointed for social reasons, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't think many tournament fields get softer with the addition of Leo Wilbert. So. Yeah, that's right. Well, good luck in that. That's uh, that sounds good. I, some some of the spots I've felt best in in my life, actually, is as far as tournament value goes, have been like this. Actually, um, sometimes random like 3ks at foxwoods like in the middle of a series hey back when that wasn't the main event you know <laughs> um you know sometimes the field sizes weren't huge but they would get skiffed by a lot of the best players so when you're playing against only like one room full of you know b plus to c minus players that, that can be pretty good and that can be a a very healthy spot so i uh, i think you're making a good choice to play and i'll, I'll look forward to hearing how it goes Thank you, sir. Uh, I've also had cause to drive um, through Baltimore a few times, and I've passed at least the parking structure for the new um, casino that's going to be opening in downtown Baltimore. Um, I'm not. I think it's actually pretty well along. I think maybe just most of it isn't visible. I think it's supposed to be opening pretty soon. Oh wow! Do um, they have poker? Yeah, they are. I think it's going to be like 22 tables or something. It's it's not going to be nearly as big of a room as Maryland Live. Uh, I think they have bigger fish to fry in, in downtown Baltimore. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I believe it's a horseshoe. I should verify that. Yeah. I, wow. All I had to do was type in horse, and uh, Google automatically suggested horseshoe Baltimore as something I might be searching for. Wow. That's uh, 
you know, good localization and good personalization. That's, uh, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to talk about some hands with this week. We don't have a guest next week. We should have a guest. Uh, I've been in touch with somebody today who, who couldn't come on the show tonight. So it's just Andrew and me for this episode, but, uh, uh soon you'll have other people to listen to. Yeah, it's funny. I always worry about this. Like, and I, I think we did have one person, um, comment on one of our recent episodes like oh i had low expectations because you guys didn't have a guest but it turned out to be good yeah. <laughs> uh, but i'm always just like oh i don't know we're just going to talk strategy the whole time and i feel like for a large percentage of our listeners they're they're pretty happy about that so yeah yeah it's 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 something that we would rather be we, we would rather be talking to other people than uh just each other i think but everybody else seems to like this better so yeah all right. i think you you i and matt are probably the only ones who have misgivings right now everyone else's <laughs> right uh so before we talk about the strategy we should talk about who's bringing people the strategy segment yeah and uh for once i had no trouble trying to think of a unique um thing to say about tournament poker edge this week because there is in fact exciting news coming from that front uh, tournament poker edge has just launched a new type of video called the stop and go and these are really designed to be uh, good for like on the go viewing from your tablet your smartphone uh, and they're i think a really good learning tool as well the videos are generally about five minutes in length each one examines a single hand and is set up so that you can pause the video at key decision points and think about what uh, you would do how you would play the hand before you hear the opinion of the pro who's making the video and i'm proud to say that uh, the inaugural stop and go video comes from yours truly but of course there are going to be more coming from all of the great instructors at tournament poker edge and best of all, for some of you anyway, uh, many of these Stop and Go videos are going to be free for the first 24 hours after they're released, and I believe they're coming out on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So even if you are not a member of Tournament Poker Edge, you can uh, head over to tournamentpokeredge.com, check out the uh, Stop and Go video on Wednesdays and Saturdays, and hopefully you'll like that content enough that uh, you'll want to sign up to be a, a regular member. Uh, again, you can find those only at tournamentpokeredge.com. All right, so our first hand comes from Yusuf, who is telling us about a, a private game that he played, and he begins like this. The game is almost always comprised of the same 20 or so faces, so history and image are very significant. My image is, by a significant margin, the most aggressive and creative of the group. <laughs> That's good, good brag, Yusuf. <laughs> I raise and three bet a lot of hands pre-flop and play just as aggressively post-flop. I've been caught in some really big bluffs, e.g. check raising the river for 200 big blinds, and made some big calls. John, the villain in this hand, is a winning regular. He's perceived as a tight player who always has it when he bets and raises, but I've noticed that since I started playing in April, he's made a concerted effort, concerted effort to broaden his game, reading books, etc., he doesn't talk much at the table, but in a conversation over a cigarette, he mentioned SPR to me, so I think he has some solid fundamental understanding of poker. I think he thinks I play more wildly than I actually do. So I wouldn't mind stopping here. Uh, there's a lot to praise already, so it's really easy just to think that somebody is tight, but to recognize that somebody uh, changes how he plays over over time, and to recognize that somebody might be uh, uh, reacting to you individually, these are both really good things to notice. Um, 
I, I, I wouldn't quite infer that he knows tons and tons about poker based on the fact that he's mentioning SPR, but um, presumably Yusuf has other evidence for, for that claim that he's not telling us about. Um, yeah, I, I would... I would have the same warnings that I always have, which is, you know, just try not to build too detailed a mental picture of this person from, from very limited evidence. But, uh, I, I really do want to praise this kind of, of careful, uh, villain analysis. What do you think? I, I agree with all that. And I think it's very easy, especially you're playing like this is a, a one, two live game. I think it, you know it's very easy to be dismissive of players and just be like, Oh, these idiots at a one, two live game, they're all just here to have fun. Nobody understands anything about poker. I'm the only one who's any good. Uh, it's, it's very easy to think like that. And I know that you, you and I, or I anyway, have sometimes been a little dismissive of small stakes opponents in the past. But actually, this hand and another hand that we may talk about today are both coming from people playing in 1-2 or 1-3 games. And I think even in places where we might disagree a little bit with their analysis, like these hands are clearly coming to us from people who, you know, A, listen to the show, and B, have thought a lot and then have pretty sophisticated understanding of, of what they're doing so you definitely do encounter um some some bright players at uh at, even in like one two pretty recreational games absolutely yusuf continues the hand in question took place around 4 a.m by the way i love these hands that happen when you've been playing together <laughs> for hours and hours and hours and it's really late at night yeah i, I, I almost deleted that line and then i was like that's actually probably a significant bit of information to, well, to leave it yeah it's significant and it's also wonderful. Like I can, it, it makes me think back to a lot of all night Foxwood sessions. <laughs> we were both having a good session. He had 800 in front of him. I covered with 1100 or so, and there were only six people still playing. It folded to me in the small blind and I raised $6 with ACE nine offsuit. I would usually raise larger blind versus blind 400 big blinds deep, but I think that would entice a light three bet out of John, the most prominent addition to his game in my in my judgment, is a three-bet bluffing range. If I made it eight or ten, and he three-xed my open, folding is no fun because ace-nine does have considerable equity against what I imagine his range is, but calling seems worse, and I don't think he'd give me much credit if I four-bet. Okay. So, there are a few things to say here. Um, I I like you giving some credit to your opponent. Um, to assume that you're not going to get much credit if you four bet uh, that's that's a lot to say about a one two opponent where if you're blind versus blind and you know if you go eight or ten and then he three x's it to 24 or 30 and then you four bet he's not going to give you much credit um i mean what exactly do you think he's not folding to the four bet I, I i'd like to hear some some details here like do you think he's calling with king nine <laughs> do you think he's uh uh, continuing with pocket fours. I mean, that's not really a, a great three betting candidate, but uh, like, what's he doing with ace jack? Is he going to call with ace jack and then call unimproved on the flop? I, I I would like to know exactly what you're really worried about in terms of him playing back at you light against a four bet. Um, I, if I can just jump in there for a second, I, I kind of agree with that, but I think I do have a sense of what he's, what he's, talking about um, especially like if, if you come back to the line that he mentions earlier about um that, that he, he thinks that this player uh thinks that he yusuf uh plays more wildly than he yusuf actually does um just the sort of thing where like once he once he three bets and then gets four bet he's still gonna think like oh this guy could still have 
you know, almost anything. And and because he has position, because there's still a lot of money behind, uh, I, I think some of what you're meant, like maybe King nine folds, but I think like 10, eight suited calls, uh, ace jack calls planning on, you know, not necessarily calling every flop unimproved, but calling and, and getting stubborn. Um, now, now, obviously, ace nine offsuit is going to be ahead of that stubborn sort of range, but it, it may be tricky to play out of position post flop. And I, I feel like I kind of have a sense of of what goes through the head of uh, of a person like this, especially at four a.m. when both people are deep and have been playing for a while. I absolutely agree. Um, I I don't disagree with a word of that. I do wonder if that doesn't make a four bet even better uh, i'm not saying i do this all the time but sometimes the people who are going to be like pretty skeptical of you like how skeptical is he is he gonna call eight hundred dollars with no pair if not then maybe you should bluff a lot <laughs> like i mean sometimes if he's not folding before the flop or on the flop that just makes a bluff better sometimes yeah. it doesn't you know like, I think, I, like i'm not but that would make me more inclined to do that with like asex suited or even like 10 7 suited maybe before ace nine offsuit like I feel like it's it's not a great bluffing hand, basically. Yeah. Um it's got the ace. Yeah. Um I don't know. Other things equal, the nine helps. But yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. Uh that said, like it won't be often that I'm looking to like four bet a sort of tired opponent who's skeptical of me so that I can run an eight hundred dollar bluff <laughs> in a one two game. That's like really not my MO. I'm just saying that Although I don't doubt that Yusuf has a very detailed thought process here. In part, I'm thinking of the many other emails we get <laughs> where the person says, like, I won't get any credit. So I just call. Then I call again. Then I call again. And then I don't know whether to fold or call, but I fold. You know, like, <laughs> and it's like, like, what were you what are you afraid of? Right. Like, and, and, and Yusuf's got an answer and I can give different answers that I could imagine for different opponents. And you've got a lot of answers. I, I, I'm just saying there's more to say here like like it really matters exactly what's going on it, it also matters like one great thing about this email so far is that yusuf thinks that he's going to get three bet more often with uh yeah with, with, with a bigger raise than a smaller one i mean i that's a little strange to me uh, but 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 like to even be in a position to draw that kind of conclusion uh puts yusuf in the top few percent of like observance in in poker players so good for him I, I don't know if i believe him i mean i think he's giving so much detail that i think i should maybe but um <laughs> yeah, he sounds pretty confident but it doesn't sound right to me yeah i i, I mean there, there are people who are like that you know i mean it's especially like yeah I, i'm thinking back to i think it was the 2000 Five. There was one year where ESPN televised a bunch of bracelet events and non-Hold'em games, and they they made an episode in No Limit Deuce to Seven Low Draw Low Ball that they never aired but did throw up on their website, <laughs> and uh, uh, there was a bunch of talk somewhere in that episode about how somebody would be more likely to re-raise an open for eight x than an open for four x in 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 No Limit Deuce, and uh, it was a long time ago, and it's not even Hold'em, but but. You know, it's it. Sometimes it's like that. Sometimes, sometimes people really are more likely to to re-raise bigger bets or to raise bigger bets, as, as the case may be. One one case I can think of for you know why someone might do that is if, I mean, it comes up a lot when you're like you know in position and also getting pretty good odds to call it as you are in the big blind, where you know a lot of hands that he might consider 
three betting are also going to make pretty good calling candidates if he's getting good odds. And then the bigger the raise is, the less inclined he is to just call. And yeah. so he might decide to three bet some hands that, that would call a smaller raise. Yeah. Yeah. I I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Um, yes. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, this also happens sometimes in Hold'em, right? Where if you bet bigger than the out-of-position opponent can can raise uh, on, on the strength of his hand or, or with a certain range, but if you make it smaller such that the raise that he would make it is also smaller, then you're leaving uh then then he has his, his implied odds are too are too poor so there are cases where sort of raising the stakes allows your out of position opponent to to raise more aggressively um because the implied odds aren't so bad for him but um i mean that's not what's going on here too but that is a case where where bigger bets can induce raises sometimes uh so as a reminder our hero has ace nine offsuit has opened to six dollars from the small blind uh, and now Yusuf continues, John called the $6, and we saw an ace-king-nine rainbow flop with um, 11 in the pot after rake. So uh, I'm, I'm also impressed now that Yusuf has managed to find an underground game in New York that's um, only raking $1 out of the pot at this point. <laughs> the, the rake um, is, is impressive. Yeah, and you know, I, usually I try not to give out too much information when people send us uh, hands coming from you know underground games, but I don't think we're... Uh, we're blowing up their spot too much to to put out there that there are underground poker games going on somewhere in New York. Get on the yeah. parties. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I guess there's like a Bayesian point where if the rake is what it is, it's probably not in the city. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so $11 in the pot after the rake. We've got this ace-king-nine rainbow flop. After some consideration, I bet $20, thinking that gets the most value against top pair, and my image may lead to him leveling himself into bluff-catching big bets on multiple streets. On the flop, John's range is severely capped because I think he three-bets aces, kings, and ace-king 99% of the time, and I expect him to three-bet 9-9, often blind versus blind, and of course there's only one combination of that left anyway. Uh, on a theoretical basis, this seems like a good spot to have an overbetting range, and ace-nine seems like a great hand to have in it, since I blocked nine-nine, the only better hand he can have, and don't block the weaker made hands um, as much as aces or ace-king do. Uh, I think there's a, a lot to talk about here, and, and I think just the, the concept of overbetting the flop in general is sort of an interesting one. It's not a play that I make real often, and, and I do think I overbet rivers and even turns more than a lot of people do and i still don't find myself ever betting much on the flop yeah me neither even though i think i ought to i mean, i've talked about this on the show before i think it's something that separates the best players from other players like even other good players is you know no limit means no limit sometimes you should bet a lot <laughs> so that's uh, and i mean when the stack to pot ratio is like 200 or whatever it is here um yeah. not actually that much but like 40 uh, then I mean that that's one of the circumstances where you probably should be overbetting early in the pot sometimes. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about fundamentals. Like why might an overbet be good or bad here? Well, one reason that it might be bad is that the stacked pot ratio is high and Yusuf is out of position, and inflating the pot with very deep stacks out of position can can really lead to trouble. Um, one reason it's good is that 
Yusuf has a lot more of the nuts in his range than his opponent does. This is something Yusuf explains with perfect clarity, and I like everything he says. And uh, if you read a book like Mathematics of Poker, when you have more nuts in your range than your opponent does, that's a great time to, to make big bets, lots of them. So uh, that's that's a good thing to do. So um, I, I like Yusuf's play here. Um, there's a general warning that may not apply to Yusuf, but does apply to a lot of people where they think they're being balanced in a spot. But in fact, if he had like 6-4 suited, it wouldn't occur to him to bet $20 because he might do that with Ace-9 also. Like there you have to be careful that you really are being balanced and not giving things away. Like if I'm sitting in a one, two game and I see somebody overbet the flop in the spot out of position, I'm going to assume that they've got a value hand a lot of the time. Um, and I'm, I'm going to think that that's not an ordinary continuation bet. Um, and I think a lot of people say, Oh, I just moved in cause I didn't want to call. And then they wouldn't have actually moved in with some of their other hands. Like, I, I think it's easier to say you're going to be balanced than to actually be balanced. Um, and if balance is an important consideration here, and I would argue that it actually is, um, then I I would just caution, if not Yusuf, then some other person in Yusuf's spot to, to actually make sure that you're going to do this with other parts of your range and not just your your good parts. The other key question here, I think, is whether Ace-9 counts as a nutted hand for this purpose. Um, so Yusuf explains why most better hands are not going to be in, in the villain's range, or it's extremely unlikely the villain is going to have um, most hands that could beat Ace-9. Um, there's, so there, there, I mean, there, there's a few questions. One is whether by the time the pot gets to be uh, $1,600, i.e. they're all in, whether these rare combinations of better hands don't start to overwhelm the rare combinations of lesser hands that are willing to put in $800. Not yeah. that we're at that point yet, but I mean, that's part of the reason for, for betting this big on the flop is to set up some pretty big, like, maybe then we're also going to overbet the turn and then shove 2x pot on the river. Yeah. Um, so you, you have to wonder, like... You, I mean, obviously, you, you have to think, like, not just do I have the best hand anytime you're value betting, but am I going to be ahead of, of what calls me? But here, because we're still so early in the hand and there's still so much money behind, you really have to think pretty far ahead about how am I going to fare if, if this much money goes into the pot? And also realize that even if you do have a good hand, like, even if it's nearly impossible for villain to have a better hand than Yusuf right now, um, you know, he, if he calls with something like ace 10 on the on the flop is he going to be willing to go all the way to the river with that if he doesn't hit a 10 later in yeah. the hand and any king queen jack 10 is gonna potentially if the pot gets big put yusuf in a tough spot like i think um if this guy is really creative uh some of the hands he's gonna get to the flop with are gut shots and one thing i mean gut shots to the nuts right like any broad broadway gut shot is a gut shot to the nuts here and if if this guy is creative, like when the stack to pot ratio is like 700 or whatever it is here, like I mean it's not that big, but uh, when when creative players who are skeptical of their opponents get to the flop in position with a gut shot, um, one thing they don't do real often is fold. I, I know I don't. So um, you know I I think that this guy's you know yeah king queen jack ten one of those cards is going to come pretty often and uh yeah so ace nine is is uh um even if it's almost always ahead now how it's doing 
by the river in a big pot is is something very different uh yeah so i mean all that said i I agree with you like i i like the creativity i definitely think that you know we're not going to see an opponent like this fold an ace to even to an overbet even if he's kind of suspicious he's going to be reluctant to fold an ace it is significant that john blocks an ace um you know i think that arguably king nine could be an even better hand to make to make this play with even though it's somewhat weaker and and could be behind ace nine and and suffers even more from that do i really want to put in eight hundred dollars with this hand um the problem the the fact that there's a much more that the 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 most obvious value target is going to be more prominent in villain's range is is pretty significant in terms of making this play with with king nine and and even better with nine nine um nine nine strikes me as maybe like the single best candidate for this where you really don't block any of the bluff catching hands you're hoping that your opponent has and you can feel a lot more confident about your hand all the way to the river absolutely absolutely agreed so what happens um so the john um the villain here actually raises to 70 dollars what <laughs> yeah that, i mean he just it, i mean because of everything that yusuf said about how how most of the nutted hands are not in john's range i don't think john should do this with any hand yeah. um you know it's it's basically like among other things this can be exploited by just like three betting him now <laughs> and like if you're john and you have i don't know king nine even which we're we're thinking is pretty close to the top of his range how good can you feel about that like are you ready to put in 800 dollars with that yeah um so like the fact that you can't really have nutted hands makes it hard for you to do this um for for kind of thin value because there's still so much money behind that you can get bluffed out and also makes it hard for you to do this as a bluff because you can't really represent much Um, so i think there's just no reason for john to raise the 70 dollars here unless use of three on john's flatting range is like way 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 off and john does actually have aces or kings or ace king uh, more often here than we're thinking which doesn't seem right to me yeah uh absolutely uh so yusuf says uh i don't expect him to defend the middle or bottom of his range by bluffing um meaning that presumably i assume he means by that that he won't raise a hand like 10 9 here um and i think he has either king 9 ace 9 or 9 9 uh, of which there are six combos of king 9 four of ace 9 or one of 9 9 further discounted because villain may well um three bet that pre-flop yeah so i i think just to either clarify or, or correct or whatever what you said like i think yusuf is saying that john just isn't bluffing here like if he has six oh, four suited like he's not making it 70 um i think when he says middle or bottom of his range i don't think he's even talking about made hands i think he's talking about the 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 eight seven suited the nothing yeah fair enough yeah uh calling seems bad because i miss out on a lot of value against a range i crush um, i considered making it 200 dollars or so but i thought that might look too strong John's capable of making good folds. I didn't want to let him get away from ace nine or king nine now or on the turn. Um, well, you should be pretty happy for him to fold a hand that you're chopping with. Um, yeah. So I agree that getting him off of king nine would be a problem. Getting him off of ace nine wouldn't really be a problem. Yeah. I mean, the the truth is it's hard for me to figure out what he might have just because it's such a weird... It's like, I don't think you should ever do this with anything. So yeah. I really don't know what, you know, to tell you, like, is he bluffing here? Does he, like, I think it's also a really bad way to play King nine, like just as bad as it is to do it as a bluff. So I, I don't know, like he, whatever he has, he's playing badly. Um, yeah. I, well, not necessarily. Aces. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially if he's calling preflop more than Yusuf thinks he is. I mean, but that's a mistake too. I think this deep, you have to have a good three betting range before the flop in position. I think that would be bad, but like, 
if he really is balanced, like if he really is calling sometimes with his best hands, and if he's raising those and the appropriate portion of bluffs, like from a Bayesian perspective, it's unlikely that that John's playing properly here. But like he might be. Like he, uh, I think a perfect computer would raise here sometimes, just not very often. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's... so, but I mean, I think that argues for calling more so than for three betting. Yeah. Um, and I also think, I mean, so just as says, like, I think that clicking it back is going to look bluffy. And, I mean, maybe we're just not fully appreciating the dynamic that exists between these two players when they're both deep and it's 4 a.m. Um, about, like, just how much disbelief is, is going on back and forth. But I think that, like, overbetting the flop and then three betting when raised yeah. is not the bluffiest looking thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I really agree. And also... A hundred twenty dollar bet in a one two game, pretty big, even underground in yeah. some of these crazy games. Uh, so Yusuf continues. After some deliberation, I clicked it back to one hundred and twenty dollars with the goal of representing a bluff, um, and that with two hundred and fifty two minus seven equals two forty five in the pot after rake, I can still get it in by the river. Uh, All I, right, I so, so seven dollars a rake. That, now this is <laughs> getting better. So, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I do think it's true that you, it's not, I mean, you wouldn't even really have to raise here at all to get it in by the river. Um, but, yeah, certainly the, your raise size is not significant in terms of getting all the money in before the river. Uh, the turn is the six of hearts, bringing a flush draw. Uh, Joseph says, I can't remember which flop card was also a heart, but I don't think that's very significant. So the board now is ace, king, nine, six with two hearts. I've got $130, which I now think is too small. If my read is correct, I doubt he's folding ace-9 or king-9 for $180, which would set up a 5-6 pot shove instead of the... Um, 11 tenths pot bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pot bet that I set up. Uh, I think I was overly concerned about trying to represent a bluff in a spot where my range is entirely unbalanced. I'm never bluffing this guy after he shows so much strength. He thought for about a minute before calling, making the pot $505. Um, that that makes sense to me and i've certainly fallen into that trap a bit myself about um worrying a bit too much about balance in a spot where i probably shouldn't be balanced yeah the river was the nine of clubs giving our hero a full house and extinguishing any doubt that i was ahead i shoved for 550 dollars more on the basis that john won't fold king nine after a brief period of agony he folded Judging from his expression and timing, I doubt he folded a boat. More likely he had a hand like Queen Jack or Jack Ten of Hearts, um, or a random hand he decided to bluff, then double flip me with. <laughs> um, things I didn't consider at all, uh, and I was disgusted at myself for shoving. In hindsight, check shoving the river seems optimal, um, and autopiloting the river seems like a really expensive mistake. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do think if, if we think that villain's range is going to be either king nine or bluffs, there's really no reason to bet the river. Yeah. Although, yeah. I mean, that said, like, I don't know that John actually should shove king nine if jack two on the river. No. Because, like, all, again, like, all of those nutted hands are still in hero's range and not in, like, this is why John shouldn't be bloating the pot with king nine in the first place. Um, but, yeah, like, I don't know what he's really looking to get called by if he shoves 550 on the river with, with king nine. But he probably will shove, I mean, based on what what we've heard about this player so far i think he probably would shove king nine objective so i i agree with yusuf that checking the river is probably a lot better than shoving it yeah so right i'm not so sure 
that John would call in tempo with a gut shot on the flop. Like I, I get that it's only fifty dollars more for the three bet, and the stacks are deep, and and he probably has the implied odds to to make the call. But I'm not sure a lot of people, as described, are going to be comfortable or or happy about that that call over the table. I I guess I'm I'm very confused by the villains play here, yeah. but. I think that we shouldn't eliminate a hand like Ace Three or something like that. Like the flop range raise is uh, is strange and probably poor, but um, I don't know. This happens with very skeptical people, right? Like they call before the flop and then they raise on the flop for whatever reason. And then it's fifty dollars more, so they call. And then on the turn, they still don't believe the opponents. So they call. Then on the river, they finally come to believe, <laughs> and uh, and and they fold. I mean, I think I, I'm not sure that's all that much less likely than having exactly queen jack of hearts. You know, like that's only one combination, um, and there are a lot of ways to make ace x. Um, so it's tough. I think I think I'm very confused, and I, I like the way Yusuf thinks. How about that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I. I... Obviously, he won a pretty nice pot here. I don't know that it's a huge mistake in the sense that, you know, the the bluffs may not, like the the missed hands may not bluff the river anyway. King nine is gonna call a shove anyway. So I don't know, you know, I don't think you're necessarily missing out on a ton of value by not checking the river. But although I do think like autopiloting is clearly a mistake, especially when you're talking about a 300 big blind bet or you're close to it um that's the kind of thing that you do want to get right because even even a small mistake adds up really quickly when you're talking about a bet that large yeah but uh, overall i think this is excellent analysis and comes back to my original point that there are some pretty sophisticated players out there playing one two yeah from time to time uh some sophisticated players show up in a two five game at the red rock as well (laughs) and uh, after we come back from break you're going to hear about a hand that nate and i played against each other um, so this hand, as we mentioned, occurred at the Red Rock, and I don't know, maybe this will become a, a yearly tradition for us, because uh, two years ago, or last year, I guess, in 2013, uh, we went out to Red Rock the day after um, we had we had both busted the main event, and uh, just had a real nice time out there. It was a pretty soft game, it was a friendly game, uh, I think we both won in that game, we got some nice food, just just had a good time at the Red Rock. It's, for those who have never been, it's a, a bit off strip, like 20 minute or so drive from the strip. Um, very, very comfortable, mostly locals sort of casino, um, relatively Nick Hest friendly. Um, and relatively then... <laughs> but it's i mean it's meant for like rich people i think so but like the, the food court there has has pretty good reasonably priced stuff yeah the fish tacos are really yeah, good. That was good yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then this year uh, nate busted pretty early on um day three Yep. Yeah. So Nate, Nate busted pretty early on day three, and we were having lunch and commiserating, and uh, decided we should go out to Red Rock, even though we didn't have a car. We ended up taking a slightly not Nitcast approved cab ride out to Red Rock just because we had such a good time last year, and uh, ended up having a pretty good time this year as well. Carlos and uh, Briar, who some of you will know from comments section on the Thinking Poker blog, came with us, and uh, we actually ended up meeting with uh, Ed Miller and one of my coaching students out there as well. So kind of a, a party at the Red Rock, but here's a hand that occurred real early in the 2-5 game that Nate and I were both playing, and where uh, Nate, despite having the misfortune of sitting to the immediate right of the best player at the table, managed to uh, outplay that player pretty severely in this hand. 
I don't know about that. I think <laughs> hey, we'll see. We'll see. I think I think I did okay generally uh, uh, in terms of not letting the fact that you were on my left terrorize me. I think um, it's easy to clam up a little bit in those situations, but uh, largely because you wrote that really good bit after you were on Christian Harder's uh, right <laughs> during the World Series uh, that one year, I, I I immediately made it a priority to figure out how not to get terrorized by you and and how basically to 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 make the best of the situation you you Uh, did a nice job in this end (laughs) well thanks uh so i was either under the gun or under the gun plus one and i raised to 20 Uh, i had 500 in my stack andrew covered me uh andrew called to my immediate left and somebody called in late position um, so we were three to the flop, uh, 67 minus the rake, which is only $4 there. Uh, so yeah, 63 going to the flop and, um, I get an excellent flop, which is, I don't think you, sp- you told people your hand. Oh, I have ace queen of spades and I have, I have ace queen offsuit. Yeah. So already I'm better than Andrew for playing a better <laughs> hand than him. So, <laughs> uh, flop is king of spades, uh, jack x, uh, seven of spades. So I flop amazing. I flop. Um, oh, sorry. The jack was a spade. King of spades, jack of spades, uh, offsuit seven. Um, I have ace queen of spades. And uh, so one thing I do here when I have a strong player who's called in position is I will check a fair amount. Um, I've plausibly got more combinations of, of top set and probably second set in my range than he does. Uh, but over the whole sort of course of the hand, he's going to make the nuts plenty. Uh, I'm going to have a lot of one pair hands that can that can't stand a lot of heat and um he could uh, his his range for calling an under the gun plus one range from under the gun plus two should be pretty strong and this is something i wrote about it at learn poker news um uh although here the stacks are deeper than i was talking about there i I, i'll check a fair amount as the pre-flop raiser here here i've got a hand i'll put you know whatever anywhere up to about five thousand dollars in on the flop list so (laughs) maybe not that much but 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 lots and um, I'm I'm happy to check and and evaluate often raising. Um, th- there aren't a lot of hands I can um, do that well. Yeah, I start by checking. I would start by checking with a lot of hands, and I have a hand I can play a lot of ways, and so I check. And now I. Um... So, you know, I, I'm sitting here holding ace-queen with, without the flush draw on, on a king-jack-7 board, and I think that this is a, a pretty clear hand for me to bluff with, considering what my range for calling Nate's early position raise when I myself am in early position is going to be. Uh, I'm probably going to have a lot of pocket pairs in my range, and on this board, or uh, on most boards, you know, a pocket pair is either an extremely strong or an extremely weak hand. Um, and here... You know, like either I flopped a set or I don't have a very strong hand. Um, you know, queens could be like one exception to that, where that's still going to be a pretty good hand, especially against your checking range. But other than that, like I don't really want to take a pocket fours or something and, and try to run a bluff with it. So that's not a hand I'm going to bet very often on this board. There's not a ton of unpaired hands I'm going to have after calling 
pre-flop. Um, Queen 10 suited is, is going to be in my range, but Queen 10 offsuit is not. So, you know, I, the Queen 10 suited will be a, another draw that I could have. 10 um, 9 suited. You're right. 10 9 suited for, for the double gutter. So I mean, there, there are a couple of, of kind of unpaired drilling hands I could have, but th- this I think is, is one of the better hands I'm going to have. And it's also a case, you know, it, it is a draw to the nuts. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm, I was probably or you know, definitely underestimating how often Nate is, is going to check here and, and check with good hands. Um, but I do think that betting a hand that I'm, I'm thinking of as having a pretty, like, you know, if, if, Nate, you are playing a hand like Queen Jack or or Jack Ten or something this way. It's a hand that I have pretty decent equity against. Um, if, even if you do if you do call me here, and I, because I'm going to bet my spade draws, I do want to have some hands where I can represent spades on the turn um, if they get there. And I think that this is you know a decent like I I don't want to only bet flush draws or only bet straight draws because I want to still have air in my range when a straight or a flush gets there on the turn so that I can represent that hand as well. So I think this is, is kind of like pretty close to the bottom of my range and also has decent equity and is just a hand that I should bluff with. So I'm pretty happy with my decision to bet the flop. I don't think I have to bet especially large because there's not a ton of money behind and I can put pressure on you in later streets depending on what you do. I want to give myself room to call a check raise with a lot of the hands and I'm betting on the flop, etc. So I, I bet 30, which is roughly half the putt. Yeah, and the late position player folds, and I raise to 85. Uh, I would like to have a raising range here to, you know, to keep Andrew in line, and because raising is good, and uh, I like putting this hand in my raising range. Um, if if I whiff on the turn, my hand is so strong that that's not even that bad a spot. I can, uh, I can bet again. I can check raise. I, I was I was thinking that. Um, you know, especially if I could get some kind of a read, um, the turn could be a spot to, to check raise unimproved. Um, it could also be a spot to um, do things if I do improve. And, you know, uh, for, for a lot of reasons, I, I would like to have a check raising range. I would like to put this hand in it. And I made it eighty five dollars. Um, so the turn was the nine of spades. Well, hold on. I, I think we need to talk about whether I should call this raise. Yeah. Or three bet it. Yeah, that, that, so that's that's so of all the reasons why. Um, sorry, um, I, I also thought Andrew's capable of deciding that my range has a lot of one pair of hands in it or zero pair of hands in it, and and three betting, and that's a a pretty good result if he's capable of bluffing. So um, that that's another small reason to 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 raise. Um, so hey, should you call this raise? Yeah, I mean, I would say you're probably not going to see a lot of three betting from me here. I mean, similar to the previous hand that we talked about, where I was saying that uh, Yusuf's opponent shouldn't raise the flop that often because he's um, because he's capped. I think that three betting you here, even I, 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 Jack is a pretty plausible hand for me to just flat. I'm less likely to, to just flat kings, um, whereas you know you obviously have all combinations of those, and I think kings is also a very likely check raising hand for you. So I, I think that I'm. Although the, the capping effect is not hugely significant here, I think that it's a good reason for me not to three bet the flop. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's a lot of draws. It would really just be like ace x of spades, queen ten of spades, ten nine of spades, maybe eight nine of spades that are that are good enough draws where I'd want to three bet, get it in, and, and all of those play pretty well as calls as well. I, would I think you? I, sorry, would you play eight seven of spades and seven six of spades this way? Um, that's an interesting question. Probably not. 
I, I think that I did, like what I what I call on them bet the flop. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think I would three bet them though. Okay. So yeah, I, I think I probably just wouldn't three bet here. Uh, I, I don't think I really need to. And I, I think being able like rather than giving you a chance to get all the money in on the flop, I think I'm, I'm better off with with a lot of my range. I'm better off like playing a turn in position. So the more interesting question is whether ace queen belongs in my flatting range. You know, as I've said, I I do want to I, I want to be capable of having air when the turn is a spade. Um, but ace queen is not necessarily the best candidate for that though. I mean, queen ten is going to be is going to be in my range. Ten nine is going to be in my range. So it might be getting a little dicey to call there with ace queen. I don't think I can really count on aces or queens being very good cards for me. Like I think I still probably need to fold to a bet on an ace or queen turn. Uh, so I'm really just looking either to hit a gut shot or to represent spades on the turn. Um, and I think I'm probably not going to be able to do those things often enough. I think I maybe, uh, much like useless opponent in the previous example, got a little caught up in the idea of uh, battling with you, Nate. What, what if the turn's the deuce of diamonds and I check? Uh, I think I need to check behind. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I can tell you as you called the raise, I'm not sure that I would have done this all the time, but like my my plan was sort of pending what the turn was, pending any sort of read I got, pending my thinking better of it was was to check raise again. That was my plan. Yeah, see, this is why I need to check behind on the turn. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So uh, so counterfactually, you probably outplayed me a little bit. So it's a nice job. So that's um, right. But the turn was was the nine of spades. Um, and I checked. Yeah, and this I think is, is a really good spot for you to check, um, because I will have some lower flushes in my range, and I will. Um, I mean, it ought to be a scary card for you. I don't know how many how many flush draws you're check raising on the flop, but it can't be that many. Yeah. So, like, this is a card where you'd probably want to check a set. Um, not yeah. to mention, like, like I mean, you, you actually, you, I mean, you should bet your air. Like, if you had check raise with ace queen and no spade, I would expect you to bet it now. But I, I think you're going to be checking a lot of your range on the turn. Yeah. Notice though that you can't have that many flushes. I can see the ace of spades, the king of spades, the queen of spades, the jack of spades, and the nine of spades. So <laughs> that that so you can have like eight seven of spades or seven six of spades. No, I mean, true. would you would you get funky with? seven five of spades before the flop or like eight six or ten no, seven i wouldn't that, that's a very that's a very good point i, I guess <laughs> i guess that the more important thing is that i'm gonna have a lot of straight draws that will try to represent spades <laughs> and you yeah. would like to give me room to do that yeah that yes i i agree it's and, and, I, and i did in fact check yeah you did give me room to do that i think i've i mean as i said i think whether to call the flop is pretty questionable with the ace queen i think i have a very clear bet when check two on this card Mm-hmm. Um, so I do bet, I bet $120, which I thought was the amount that would um, kind of get maximum leverage for me in terms of threatening what you have left in your stack. Or Yeah, I guess I covered you by a bit. So yeah. you had somewhere around $300 um, remaining in your stack after the 120 and uh, that's going to be, you know, the, the pot will be a little over 300 yeah. So I, I think this is a, a good point where I can get a lot of fold equity here. And um, I'm not sure about... I, th- I think I probably would shove the river if you just call the turn. Crap. Um, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think I think you raising the turn is a pretty bad idea here. Yeah, but 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 I did it. So, uh, <laughs> that's alas. Yeah, I, I made it two eighty, which uh, in hindsight, yeah, um, doesn't make a lot of sense, I guess. Uh, 
I, I I did think that you would have a fair number of sets here. I wasn't counting on getting like pure floated that often. Um, yeah. So there are going to be some action killing cards on the river if you do have a set or a hand like King Jack. Um, I'm not sure you're betting planning to fold with a lot of like value hands. If you had, I don't know, say you had like King Ten of Diamonds. I'm not sure you would call it that hand before the flop. I'm not sure you would uh, play it this way, but I, I, I imagine you might bet fold that hand on the turn. But if you had a hand like King Jack, um, if you were to bet that hand on the turn, I'm not sure you would be doing that to fold. I think you wouldn't. Um, so, right, I, I lose against your... Racing's a bad play against your bluffs, the bluff part of your range. And given all those spades I can see, I should plausibly be thinking that the bluff part of your range is a big part of your range. I, I'm not sure that makes it a terrible play overall. I think I think you're going to have some some sets here, some of which I lose value against on the river, but um, but but the scare card doesn't come pretty often on the river also so uh yeah i mean yeah, i think i can still consider... go for value on the river with like yeah. a set of jacks if there is a blank yeah that's right that's right um yeah i think you're right um and, so... I mean, and the other thing is i think this is a tricky race for you to balance with bluffs um like i don't know how many hands you're check raising on the flop and then check raising again on a spade turn yeah um, I think that, among other things, you wouldn't really want to do this. Well, I don't know. I guess you could do it with, like, just Ace of Spades X. Like, if you had Ace Queen with just the Ace of Spades and, and you chose to play it this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is that, like, you raised to 280 with about another 100 hours behind. I mean, I guess you're just, like, committed to call it off. It's not really that big of it. It's, like, it's not like you're in a super gross spot if I shove or something. Yeah. Um, where if you had a, a good deal more money behind, it would be tougher for you to do this, I think, with just a barrier of spades. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess you, you can... But even that is, like, ace-queen and maybe ace-ten with a spade are the only two combinations of that you're going to have, and you may not always... I would think you're not always check-raising those on the flop. Um and you know, sometimes you're going to bet the turn instead of check raise with those. I just don't think there are very many hands that, that you're likely to, to take this line as a bluff. I um, agree. Which does make it, like, I don't really see myself stacking off here with King Jack. With a set, yeah, but I do think you're going to get my stack on some rivers anyway, or a fair number yeah. of rivers anyway if I have a set. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think you're really missing a ton by check calling, and I, th I think you really do want to give me room to... Uh, you, you might be underestimating how much of a barrel monkey I am. Yeah, that, that, that could be it. It's... it's like three combos of queen-ten suited, three combos of nine-eight suited, and apparently some combos of ace-queen that maybe shouldn't even be in there, which makes yeah. you wonder, is ace-ten in there, too? Um, yeah, I mean, if I knew you would play ace-queen like this, <laughs> I, was, I was a little bit surprised to... Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, but, but your point is, yeah, you started this off by saying that I, that I might have played this hand well but i think i made a I, I think this raise is is a mistake i think it's poor but i think the flop check raise is really good yeah well thanks um no yeah. th there was there was one other mistake that you made here yeah yeah it turns out in this in this hand er, in this room uh uh there are royal flush bonuses and the spade royal flush was a lot i think it was 5k um okay so you wrote 50k on our note sheet yeah i, I think i think that's wrong i think it was <laughs> that would 5K. be a, a much bigger yeah i've never heard of a royal flush bonus getting that high yeah, so I think I think it's 5k. So I had a 
a one in you know 48 or whatever or maybe 46 if you think that andrew's gonna have a tough time ever showing up with a ton of spades here <laughs> um yeah so i had uh you know something like 50 or sorry a hundred dollars of equity um in in the royal flush jackpot if i call it which is significant that's really significant um of course i have more than zero dollars of equity in that if i if i raise but um yeah it's 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 a rare case or one of these promotional well not rare but in the case of a jackpot kind of situation it's a uh it's rare that it actually affects the play of the hand um you know there i'm not going to say that these promotions never affect the play of the hand because you know say you're playing two four limit and there's an aces cracked promotion for two hundred dollars which which happens right then then you should keep a lot of people in the plot pot um but uh, usually they don't affect the play of the hand uh, in the biggest game in the room <laughs> when that's and uh, and here it did so yeah that's another mistake i made funny enough we did actually end up getting a piece of a jackpot shortly after this hand yeah um, apparently and i've never heard of this before but apparently at red rock if the bad beat jackpot is hit it's not just a table share it's a room share so yeah. everyone in the room gets paid when the bad beat hits at another table yeah well well wait, wait till you get this i don't know if it's still like this but uh it used to be the case where if it got hit at any station casino everybody at every table at every station casino uh, uh got paid so oh, one wow. time i one time i walked into a room and people said like ah oh, i have to wait three hours to get my 59 dollars or 75 dollars <laughs> You know, like somebody like five miles away at a Royal Flush or something <laughs> <laughs> hit the bad beat. So <laughs> yeah, so that's it, it. Gets even even more extreme than that. Yeah, the other thing I, I thought that was funny, and uh, thankfully Carlos didn't lose his mind over that. But yeah. Carlos and Briar were actually getting lunch and hadn't started playing yet, so they they both missed out on uh, what was it, like one hundred and forty dollars or something. One seventy nine, I think. Yeah. Uh, so that they they both missed out on hitting that jackpot, which uh, some of you may remember from when Carlos and I played together at the Rivers Casino in Pittsburgh. He, um, I mean, he wasn't really that close, but uh, with 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 the right run out, he would have hit a really big bad beat jackpot, and he was kind of tilted just at missing a, a very small chance at a um, at, at a big jackpot. So I thought hearing that he missed out on uh, getting paid one hundred and seventy nine dollars might have uh, might have tilted him worse than it did, but he he took it in good fun. Yeah, among the many things that I'm grateful to to Andrew for, one of them is tipping me off when Carlos is about to read the text message that Andrew had sent him describing <laughs> the situation because the look on his face was really, really excellent. So. so the one other thing that came up that I thought it could be interesting to discuss uh, because we were saying this was kind of like a, a friendly, more recreational game than you might encounter um, some places on on the strip. Uh, there were a lot of people sharing hands with each other. And Nate, I, I think you were a little more bothered by this than I was. So I'll let you explain um, what, what you think is, is the big deal. Yeah. I mean, actually, I think I was probably, I mean, in this case, I was, I think, more bothered than you were. I think often I might be less bothered than other people and other serious players might be. Um, and I think that's why the situation is interesting, because uh, it has to do with a gray area. So... Um, one, so what was happening at this game is that a bunch of people were sort of commiserating about how bad they run and were showing each other their hands before they fold. And strictly speaking, this is not something you should do, but if everybody's sort of folding and if it's a sort of friendly game, um, you know, there are a lot of cases where 
uh, either the spirit of the rules is more important than the letter of them, or really, uh, in these sort of friendly games, there are just different norms that you have to play by. Or also, sometimes there are bad players who like to do things that are slightly outside the rules, and they aren't planning on doing anything unethical with that, with with um, with those transgressions. Um, and so you just put up with it, right? Uh, so. Um, Often, this is the sort of thing that I'll just put up with, and it's fine, and especially at a sort of locals-friendly room, um, it's just not going to bother me if people are, are saying, like, oh, you know, we could play Omaha together, and we still wouldn't have anything, you know, if they're, if they're <laughs> folded. But, like, this was getting a bit out of hand. It was four people showing each other their hands when they were folding, almost every hand, and in a way such that people with live hands could see what the hands they were folding were, and... Even if you're not trying to cheat, it can be hard not to use that information. I, I couldn't see those, and uh, uh, it was it was really getting to the point where everybody at the other end of the table was at a playing disadvantage. It was also slowing the game game down, and then when those other things are in place, it gets even more annoying than it already is. <laughs> so, um, well, and, and there was one like out of town recreational player um, who was was clearly annoyed by this. So it, it was also turning off. Like, like you said, it, it's one thing for us to show up as like professional or semi professional players and then like complain about what the locals are doing in their room um but this was a case where like there was another recreational player who showed up and like this was clearly inhibiting his ability to have a good time yeah and you know and and that's bad but like there are even cases where like at the bellagio i've objected to some behavior where people are making it feel like they're playing in their basement and it's their (laughs) game and and people are and everybody else is an intruder but like at the red rock i don't know like it kind of is a locals game, and if right. and if tourists feel unwelcome, like I guess that's just kind of the place it is. I don't know. Like I always felt very welcome there, but like even that almost like it's it's impolite, and they should be friendlier, um, and they should like maybe make an effort to to make it clear that they're not ganging up on this guy. But even that doesn't bother me so much. It's just you know this is poker, and it's a game of incomplete information, and you're completing a damn lot of information for the people in the five C, you know, <laughs> like, uh, uh, right. So, so there's, there's all that. And again, just to be clear, I've played in games where, uh, one player was replenishing another player's stack out of his own stack, like in a casino, in a public casino. And I was fine with it. It was okay. Everybody knew what was going on. They were doing it above the table and in the clear. And that was okay. Um, you you won't be surprised to learn that I was happy to keep the guy in the game, but 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 that's not even the point. <laughs> like the point is like a lot of things that are outside the rules are things I'm okay with. Okay. Um, but yeah, but this this has gotten too far, and I, I think it's an interesting question when it does get too far. But eventually, uh, uh, I guess we've already said most of the interesting things that there are to say here. Eventually, um, I asked them to cut it out the tourist used that as like a cue to finally call the floor. Like he had sort of felt ganged up on and he didn't want to make a scene by calling the floor. But when I finally said something, then he felt sort of emboldened enough to call the floor and make a big stink. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Um, then they muttered at us under, under their breath and stopped. So that's the end of the story. But I do think it's an interesting situation, right? Because it's a place where the sort of like, you know, um, where a lot of different norms collide. Uh, what did you think besides being annoyed that the game was getting slowed up a little bit? Um, I think that I didn't 
fully appreciate the extent to which it was um like i guess i just wasn't as attentive to this as, as maybe i should have been um i didn't realize i guess that it was happening every hand or how frequently players who still had live hands could see cards i knew that like occasionally they could um i just I mean, i'm not i'm not saying that you're wrong it's not like i saw that it wasn't happening i just yeah. didn't i didn't notice it well, part of it is that the primary beneficiary was was like seat four, who was tilted a bit, and like <laughs> til tilted. I mean, like physically, he was not tilted. You know, he was winning and, and happy, but he was playing a lot of hands. Oh, not yeah. all he was running well. like God. He had no reason to be tilted. He, you know, he he was running well. He thought he was great, but like, and he he thought he was like this sort of 2004 Daniel Negreanu figure, like playing all these <laughs> hands and outplaying everybody after the flop. But in fact, he was just like calling thirty dollars with any hand and then making two pair a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good uh, way to outplay people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for him. But then like sometimes you would bluff with a flush draw and feel really smart. So um, <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't like he also had huge physical tells. It was it was great. I was happy to be on his left, but like he was clearly not only in a position to see, but like actually seeing what the other what the folded cards were in hands that he was playing. Like this was something I observed at least twice. Um, and that's, that's at that point, there's like a line that's been crossed. Um, even then, like, I don't, I mean, I say that, but then I think like if what he's doing is just calling $30 with any hand, uh, then check calling with any pair or draw, except a good draw that he's check raising with, like, I don't know, maybe I should just shut up, but like, yeah, it's tough. There's a lot to, there's a lot to say. He had a lot of gel in his hair. That's another thing I remember about him. it's <laughs> 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 yeah um so if you have strong views on the situation podcast at thinkingpoker.net and uh yeah sorry i don't have a better end for this story but but that's the story and i do think it was an interesting situation um certainly it helped that the sort of the atmosphere of the game had already pretty much tanked like the wrong people were losing and some of the wrong people were winning and some people were cranky and uh, uh we certainly weren't doing much to just disrupt the game by by calling the floor but um anyway but that's that you got anything more to say about this uh i don't and i do want to reiterate the sending us emails podcast at thinkingpoker.net if you want to hear us talk for uh, 45 minutes or so about a, a hand that you played that you thought was significant enough to email to us feel free to send it in what do they do if they want to hear us talk for hours and hours about the world series of poker oh yeah well, uh, in that case, you can head over to www.nitcast.com and pick up five hours of Nate and myself talking about uh, the 2013 WSOP main event. Um, we do yeah. have plans to make some more premium podcasts, probably not dealing with the 2014 main event, just because um, I, for one, didn't play too many <laughs> too many hands from it. But the 2013 one has proved popular so far. Um, I found it helpful in, in my preparations for, for 2014, and uh, I know, Nate, you've, you said the same thing. Yeah. So uh, $19 will get you more than five hours of Nate and myself talking tournament poker strategy, both discussing specific hands and discussing tournament concepts. And I think that we are at least somewhat less rambly in that podcast or made an yeah, effort there's... to be less rambly than we are in these shows. So if you're thinking to yourself, five hours, what did you guys talk about? Four hands? Yeah. Uh, we, we did manage to get in a few more hands than, than you might think based on how long we sometimes talk on this show. Yeah, there's none of this going on and on about floor decisions or like etiquette or things like <laughs> this. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's rock solid strategy. So <laughs> nickcast.com. Uh, so this next hand comes from Steve. Uh, Steve actually sent in two hands 
uh, and I want to talk about the second one that he sent in. But most of all, I want to talk about what he was wearing during the first hand that he played. Um, so these are both hands that Steve played uh, during the WSOP, not the main event, but some of the preliminary events. And um, he describes himself when he was playing in the $1,500 No Limit shootout. Uh, he says, I'm 48 and wearing a Showdown Monkey Micros t-shirt. In other words, this is a t-shirt um, that is, is, is a reference to the Micros, a poker-related web series, uh, very popular with the 2 Plus 2 internet, you know, online poker wizard sort of crowd. We actually had um, one of the creators of this show. John Ray, I think. Yeah, John Ray was one of our earlier guests on this show. Um, he was great, by the way. It's, it's worth it's worth checking out if you're uh, a latecomer to the show. And by latecomer, I mean haven't been listening for a year and a half. <laughs> and the Micros is worth checking out as well. Unfortunately, there haven't been any new episodes created in a long time, but uh, really, really hilarious stuff. Yeah, but, uh, but Andrew's point is, if you're 48 years old, do not show up to the World Series of Poker in a sort of in-crowd t-shirt. Let everybody think you're terrible. Yeah, I mean, just, you're giving away so much information wearing a shirt like this. Like you're letting people know that you know what 2 plus 2 is, and you're, you're keyed into the online poker scene, at least enough to appreciate the kinds of jokes made on the micro. I mean, the, the things that these young guys will assume about you if you're 48, myself included, if you're just a random 48-year-old wearing a, a t-shirt with the name of uh, HVAC company on it, um, I'm going to play you completely differently than if you're a 48-year-old wearing a t-shirt with the micros on it. Yeah. Uh, so I think you know, and, and and maybe Steve is just a huge, huge Micros fan, and he's okay with giving up some some. And in fact, I think this is probably the case. Like, I think Steve probably knows um, that that he's giving this up and and is sort of okay with it because he just wants to um, promote the Micros that much. But uh, you know, be aware that when you otherwise look like the sort of person that someone would underestimate, and you give away this huge bit of information about you know, how much familiarity you have with poker, um, you definitely are giving away some pretty valuable information. Yes. So the hand comes from the millionaire maker, $1,500, whatever, 17,000 people in the field. Not that many, but lots of people in the field. He loves the table. They're playing a lot of pots. And uh, Steve has chipped up to 6,500 from 4,500. A lot of weekend warriors at the table. The blinds are 25 and 50. Under the gun plus one opens to 150. Under the gun plus two, three bets to 400. Not much of a read here. He's won a couple moderate-sized pots, but we've only played 90 minutes or so. Um, if he's won a couple moderate-sized pots, you should probably have a view about how he played in those pots. But um, fair point about the small sample size. Under the gun plus two has 6,700. Uh, and Hero is on the button with nine, seven of clubs. I'm folding here. What are you doing? Yeah, that, that's this is the part of the hand that I think is is most interesting. Is just whether he should get involved here or not. My, my guess is that the thought process here is like, oh, we're we're really deep and this is a soft table and these guys aren't that good and I have position and I have a sort of suited and connected hand. Therefore, I get to play it and it's only 400 chips out of a stack of 6,500. Uh, and the thing is, you know, you can feel really deep in a tournament. And you're not that deep. I mean, you're 130 blinds deep, and this effective stack, if you, if you call here and under the gun plus one calls, you're going to end up with 1,200 in the pot and about 6,000 in the effective stack. So you're only looking at a stack to pot ratio of five when, by the time you see the flop. Yeah. Um, you're just, you're, you're really not actually that deep. I could maybe see calling here with some slightly better suited connectors. You, you jack 10 of clubs. 
um, where you're a bit more connected, your cards are a bit higher. But I think this is the kind of speculative call that a lot of tournament players, it, it's a mistake that a lot of otherwise good tournament players make early in tournaments, just kind of <laughs> overestimating, just saying like, well, you know, we're, we're all deep, so I can just play whatever hands I want and kind of ignore yeah. the action that's happened so far. Yeah. Yeah, can I amplify one thing you said and then introduce another sort of obvious thing? Uh, thing number one is that 9-7 suited is a lot worse than 9-8 suited. It makes a big difference and significantly worse than 10-9 than, uh, uh, and Jack-10 suited. So that's thing one. Thing two is that under-the-gun plus-one razors are allowed to four-bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and not infrequently they will. So uh, that's, that's bad for you. You aren't even going to see the flop all the time. Yeah, or even the vast, vast majority of the time. So <clears throat> you'll see it most of the time, but uh, that cuts out what equity you have. So I think um, I applaud your your willingness to, to, to get involved. Um, if you hadn't been wearing, I guess this time he wasn't wearing the Micros t-shirt. So if he's a 48-year-old guy who's like flatting an early position three bet, um, yeah, probably a lot of people myself included would probably think he had queens or kings but <laughs> uh, i don't but, know i think there's a lot of those guys who just will call with like ace jack because it's a pretty hand and they have a lot of chips or, or like sevens yeah sevens there yeah okay good um so hero calls yep the blinds fold under the gun one calls and uh you know the the, the rare thing happens here where our hero does actually flop a huge hand um, which, which is hard to do. Even with 9-7 of clubs, it's not that easy to flop a straight or a flush or two pair or traps. You, you know, if, if, if you're calling here just for implied odds, you, you don't have them. Um, so you, you've, you've, it's one of the reasons why I don't like making this call. But anyway, he does actually flop a flush here. Uh, a 6-3, all clubs. Uh, under the gun, plus one, presumably checks. Under the gun, plus two, bets 450 into a pot of 1,200. And let me, let's... I think that's a somewhat suspicious raise size, considering like he three bet to 400, and now he's he's betting just 450 on this flop. Would you read anything into that bet size? Uh, it would depend on the person. I think it looks like he's trying to give himself a good price on a bluff. I think. Um, or or think, like a protection he sort of bet like ace x without a club or something. Yeah. Like like, it's kind of hard for me to get action from a lot of worse hands, but I don't want to give free cards either. Yeah, that makes sense. Or like kings, even like you know, kings with or without a club, just like one of those hands that he doesn't really want to check whether whether he's bluffing or whether he has kind of like a medium strength hand. Yeah, and he's sort of betting either. to. It looks like he's betting to bet. How about that? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which actually, I mean, I guess if if I'm, you know, counting ace x as a medium strength hand, that pretty much just describes all hands <laughs> except yeah. for flop flushes which he's not gonna have very many of to yeah. say to say he's betting either as a bluff or with a medium strength hand yeah i mean there's like ace king with the king clubs yeah yeah so, so yeah which actually would also be a reasonable hand to make this bet with. yeah 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 okay uh, but yeah. i mean bottom line is it doesn't matter super much like i think hero has a, has a really strong hand a somewhat vulnerable hand um, i don't i don't think there's a lot of value to slow playing here like there's no turn card that is suddenly going to take a weak hand and turn it into a strong hand yeah. um except for maybe if someone has a pocket pair and turns a set but that's not going to happen very often yeah so, well th 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 there are some turn cards that'll strengthen hands but um yeah, a lot of those will strengthen them beyond, <laughs> beyond a seven high flush or nine yeah. high flush yeah so. that, that's a very good point i do think there would be a good case if our hero had cold called with like king nine of clubs i think there'd be a pretty good case for for just flatting that um not that i would necessarily do it but i, I don't think there's any reason not to raise with with this hand yeah. um i would even raise a bit larger so steve raised to 1100 which is is a pretty small raise i mean it's 
it, it feels sort of big because under the gun too, bet small, it feels like almost three X's raised, but he bet such a small fraction of the pot that um, I, I think you could get away with raising to more like 1400 here. And um, you really do want to set up to get stacks in before the river uh, a decent amount of the time. Either the board is going to pair or a club is going to come and um, you're going to have a harder time putting money in or maybe not feel so good about your hand anymore. So I think getting the money in early is is pretty important here. Even though you have a huge hand, it is a hand that is not going to be huge on, on a fair number of rivers. Yeah, there's really value to getting the money in on the turn. I agree with that. So hero raises to 1100 uh under the gun plus one presumably folds and under the gun plus two shoves surprise yeah um so it, i i do find it a little suspicious that he like underbets the flop and then shoves over a raise yeah. and i think you could maybe read a good bit you know depending on how confident you are in your ability to like make live reads into you know, does he like, because I, I, so the circumstance where I could see myself folding is if he goes through like a live act where he's like, oh, man, this is such a tough decision. I don't know yeah. what to do. Uh, shrug. Blah, 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 blah. I guess yeah. I'm all in. You know, that's a situation where I could see folding. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I think otherwise <laughs> we're going to see enough of like, you know, ace king with, with a club, even just like king x with one club, like king queen with a club or something. Aces, um, yeah, by a, the way. A set of aces. You know, the hands where he knows he's going to get all in. Maybe he doesn't even mind if you fold or he knows the hand is vulnerable. Uh, I, I think a lot of people just, just get all in anytime they have a hand that they can justify getting all in with, even if it's not the best way to play it. So unless he does something kind of suspicious here, I, I think basically I think you need some sort of read to lay this down. I agree. Um, absent a read, I think you're just calling it off with, with a flop flush and um, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, raising is good partly because it puts the opponent to a decision. I mean, it would be possible for him to raise less than all in here, but you really are threatening a stack, um, if not now, then on the next street. And uh, so one reason being in position is good. I mean, he's going to have to go with a lot of the hands that um, he's continuing with, and he may decide to go with them immediately. Not that he should, but um, when you threaten people stacks, sometimes they go all in. So <laughs> that's, uh, I, I think I would call here. I wouldn't expect to be ahead all the time, but I would call. Yeah. Uh, and I would change my shirt. Yeah. And I, well, I mean, I would, <laughs> I wouldn't play the hand in the first place, but I'd call once I got here. So, yeah. 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 Thanks for the hand, Steve. Uh, thanks everyone who has submitted hands, uh, whether or not we've, we've put them on the air. We do appreciate them. Please keep them coming in podcast at thinkingpoker.net to submit hands, nickcast.com to buy podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. I know you won't, you won't, you won't, you won't.